Our scripture lesson for today, we started last week, we made a move with this series from 2 Corinthians to Ephesians. And so we pick up today in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 25, and I want to read through chapter 5 and verse 2. Ephesians 4.25 through 5.2. And once again, as we continue in this particular series, I'll be using the translation, the message. And uh, many of you are familiar with that, but whatever version or translation you have with you or that you find in the pew out there or that you have on your phone, please follow along, if you will. Ephesians 4.25 through 5.2. What this adds up to then is this. No more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. After all, when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Watch what God does and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. This is the word of God for the people of God. Again, thank you all. And thank you, Jillian, for helping us with our call to worship this morning. And Victor, for those words about Zoe. Uh, So many wonderful things happening here. It makes me... Very, very grateful. We want to continue this sermon series that we started back mid-July sometime called Take a Letter. And I want us to take a closer look at this fragment from, or this passage from Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5. The letter to the Ephesians. And I might add to most of the other churches in the region, for many scholars believe Ephesians was a circular letter. It was not addressed to one church or one congregation in particular. It was addressed to many congregations in a certain geographical area. And it would be read aloud as the congregations gathered to worship. And then it would be taken to the next church or the next congregation and read aloud in that place. And the word made its rounds that way. And and many got to hear. And there was a short series of exhortations and vices to be avoided and virtues to be cultivated. And each lesson, each exhortation describes what is to be done and provides a reason for the conduct that the writer is talking about. Ephesians expresses an understanding of Christian life that runs throughout the Pauline tradition. 
And that's to say that Paul wrote many of these letters. Some were written by others, we believe, in Paul's name, which was not an uncommon thing then or now. Christians have been transformed in Christ. The Spirit of God is at work in the community of the believers so that we come to a new way of life. And at that same time, Christians must be actively engaged in strengthening what they already are. Conversion, baptism, putting off the old, putting on the new. God at work in our lives, being sealed with the Holy Spirit, being freed from, from sin and brokenness and not bound to those past events. Not like a temple in the sense of a physical building that reminds us of how it used to be, but a temple in the sense of a human being living and growing and moving toward that perfection that is so much a part of our Wesleyan tradition, that sanctification by grace that that John and Charles Wesley talk so much about. We are the body of Christ. We are growing into our head. We are becoming more and more like Christ. It's not a fixed kind of thing. It's an always changing, always growing development depending on our relationship and strengthening that relationship. And Ephesians recognizes that believers must constantly be turning away from sinful and broken behaviors that destroy us and others. They do not claim to be free of any passions and desires that might be hurtful. We're not some kind of stoic sage. When, for example, anger occurs, it's to be turned loose not sheltered. We don't have to give it its own room and put a a sign on the door and hang on to that anger because we like having it around. Turn it loose and let it go. It's easy to think that many of these virtues that are listed in this letter are only for the saints, only for those who've arrived, only for those who've got it all together, but that's not true. It's for all of us who are on the way, regardless of where we are on the journey. All Christians striving toward holiness and perfection given by the Spirit, but it doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in the church, in the gathering, face-to-face involvement with others. Christian community requires communication, words to support our faith and our expressions of love and our forgiveness for one another. Now, let's look at our passage that we read a moment ago. Let's look at these fragments of the letter for just a little bit, piece by piece. And I know that's a little bit frightening. I know I've heard folks in the past say, well, we're going to look at this passage verse by verse. And sometimes my first reaction is, oh, my, we're going to be here all day. But uh, I assure you that's not the case. But uh, it looks like when you first glance at this passage, just a hodgepodge of random thoughts, just a lot of stuff thrown in. And, but as we examine with these thoughts, we see how they're communicated. We see how they're connected. We see how they help grow us up and shape us into the body of Christ. So we begin with verse 25. What this adds up to then is no more pretense. Tell your neighbors the truth. In Christ's body, we are all connected to each other. After all, when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. That's pretty plain. We're implored to be honest and upright and persons of integrity in all of our dealings with each other, whether it's in those places where we work, go to school, and certainly in our homes, and certainly, I hope, in the church. When we are less than honest with one another, we damage the body of Christ. We damage our effectiveness. We shoot ourselves not in the foot, but somewhere worse. Trust is vital if we are to be in a 
effective church. And if we are to be about this business of making disciples of Jesus Christ in a world who needs so many more disciples, then we've got to be honest with one another. Honest with one another, honest with God. I think that's the first thing that our passages say. And uh, it reminded me of one of my favorite quotes, a guy named Frederick Buechner that I talk about often. And I read this years ago, and it's one of those things that has sort of stuck with me. And it has to do with telling the truth. Buechner said, lying to God is like sawing off the limb that you're sitting on. The better you do it, the harder you fall. Verses 26 and 27, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but do not use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't let the devil get that kind of a toehold in your life or a foothold. Talking about revenge, I saw something the other day, if I can remember it correctly, some sayings about revenge. The, the one that you hear a lot, revenge is best served cold. And then the phrase that we use sometimes, sweet revenge. And the guy said, well, given those two things, I think revenge must be ice cream. What are the things? What are the situations? Who are the people that make us angry? The folks that maybe disrespect us or ignore us or hurt us or offend us? Or do we, like Jesus, get angry not at what happens to us, but what we see happening to folks around us, other people? That's the Jesus way. Yes, he got angry. But he didn't get angry about things that were said or done to him. He got angry when he saw other people, vulnerable people, being hurt and taken advantage of and and cheated and abused. His anger was always on behalf of others and not what was happening to him. Don't go to bed angry, we are told. And I might add, don't wake up that way either. Two co-workers having a heated discussion, and you may have heard this before. They were around the coffee pot. It was a Monday morning, and one of them was saying to the other, did something happen to you after you got here this morning, or did you wake up grouchy? (laughs) And she replied, no, I did not wake up grouchy. (laughs) I let him sleep in this morning. Uh, Anger will eat us alive if we let it. And it leaves the person, the object of our anger, is often unscathed. We're the ones who are destroyed. Verse 28, did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. That's an interesting spin on that, isn't it? Takes it out of the context in which we often use it. Ah, they need to get a job and take care of themselves. And this says get a job so you can help others who can't work. That's a little different. You might want to take that up with Paul later on. A pastor asked one of her parishioners on Sunday morning after the service. She said, Ralph, how is it that you always seem to be looking for work but never find a job? He said, skill, Reverend, skill. (laughs) And so she decided to push this thing a little bit further. She said, brother, are you afraid of hard work? He said, no, I can lie down right beside it and fall fast asleep. There are many ways to steal from others, not just stuff, 
but we can steal somebody's dignity. And there are other things we can take if we're not careful. Many ways to steal, none of them appropriate, none of them acceptable behavior for the believer according to this passage. And aren't there many, many ways that we as God's church can support people and help people to the point where we take stealing as an option off of the table. That's what Victor's talking about with this Zoe thing, giving people some integrity, helping them to meet their needs, building people up. There are all kinds of things we can do. Verse 29, watch the way you talk. Don't let any foul or dirty talk come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word, a gift. So I have to call up one of my favorite stories from way back about the woman who came in to see her pastor one Monday morning and she said preacher uh, I need some help it's my husband you know he's a leader in this church you know he serves on all the committees and he sings in the choir and he does all these wonderful things and he loves this church but when he's at home he's just got this really foul mouth and he uses this language that I find offensive and I don't want the kids to hear it and it's, it's really troubling me and I don't know what to do about it. Can you help me? He said, yeah, I'll talk to him. And so the next time he was around this leader in the church, he sat down and talked with him and told this guy about what his wife had said and he hung his head in shame and he was embarrassed and there may have been a tear or two. And he looked up and he said, Preacher, I know you're right. And right now I'm committing to you and before God that I'll quit using that kind of language. No more. I'm better than that. Preacher said, I'm glad to hear that. But while you're here, it's been a while since we've been fishing. Next Wednesday morning, how about let's go out together for a while. So they were out in the boat. And the preacher hung a bass and it was a huge one. And it was fighting like crazy. And he got him right up to the edge of the boat. And picked him up out of the water. And as he was reaching for him, that fish spun and broke the line and fell back in the water. And the preacher looked at the guy on the other end of the boat and said, Brother, something needs to be said. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Words don't have to be profane to be hurtful. There's that old schoolyard adage, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that's a bold-faced lie. (laughs) Words can hurt and wound and shred and destroy. And like arrows launched from a bow, once they're on their way, there's not much we can do to get them back. Yet words also have the power to heal and to bind up. And to restore and to encourage. With our words we bring comfort and hope. We begin to rebuild the bridges that maybe our words have destroyed. And caused to fall down, torn apart, shattered on the rocks below. As believers in the body of Christ. We're stewards not only of our resources. We're stewards of our vocabularies. Verse 30, don't grieve God. Don't break God's heart. God's moving and breathing in you the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for God's self. Don't take such a gift for granted. I summarize this verse by saying, watch out for the Stone Mountain Syndrome. And that happens when we take our relationship with God for granted. God offers God's self to us. 
How can we ignore such a gift? We have to guide guide that gift and guard that gift and nurture that gift and receive it. What are we doing together, not only in our own lives? What is happening here as a church? To strengthen that relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What are we saying? What are we doing? Why would we choose to break the heart of a God whose heart was broken for us? Broken on a cross so that all of our relationships, horizontal and vertical, might be restored. Verses 31 and 32 make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another. Be sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. I don't know what I might say to make those thoughts any plainer or any more understandable. This is sort of Christianity 101. Cut out the junk. Cut out the stuff. It does not become us. To be sensitive and gentle in dealing with one another, particularly in the body of Christ, is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of real strength. Forgiveness not only restores abundant and eternal life with the one who is forgiven, but with the one who is doing the forgiving with all of us. And then chapter 5 and the last two verses, watch what God does, then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior by observing their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with God and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. I hear it all the time. I say it myself. I live this way too many days. I talk about erring on the side of caution. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He did not love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. So here we are. Having finally arrived at the heart of the matter, and it is all about that incredible, indescribable, immeasurable love of God. Mostly what God does is love. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we are taught very clearly, God is love. So often our less than divine love falls short of the mark. What's in it for me becomes our primary question, whether spoken or not. Our love is tainted and diluted by selfishness so many times. We bought into that cultural consumerist mentality, really believing that it is all about us. If we leave here today remembering nothing else, maybe we can take those life-altering words with us and learn them anew. God did not love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And we're called to love and to live like that. Amen.